Yat eshik eh, arashid Greetings, kin and relatives. This is Lila June, your host on Nehije, Our Voices Indigenous Solutions podcast. I'm joined today by Beata Sosipeña. She is from Santa Clara Pueblo and El Rito, New Mexico. She is a poet, mother, advocate, seed keeper, full spectrum birth worker, and a specialist in indigenous sustainable design. She led the creation of the Española New Mexico Healing Foods Oasis Demonstration Garden and created the Seed Library within the local nonprofit Tewa Women United. She works with Traditional Native American Farmers Association and the Flowering Tree Permaculture Institute. She is a Pueblo representative for the New Mexico Governor's Task Force on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Relatives, serving a second term. She has been working to address impacts and advocate for environmental and reproductive health and justice for over a decade. She is now the organizational director for Breath of My Heart Birthplace in traditional Capo Awinge territory here in Española, New Mexico. And I'm obviously very honored to just be sitting next to her. Beata, would you be open to sharing a little bit about your nation, your homeland, your background, anything else you'd like to share uh, from your heart uh, at this time? Sure. Thank you for having me, Lila. It's good to be here with you. I haven't seen you in person in a while. <laughs> um, so, umbiak gendi, na huahi wopovi, na hapo owinge omu, na keatoa omu. My name is Beata Sosi from Santa Clara Pueblo. I'm just really happy to be here talking with you today, and my, my greetings and blessings to everyone listening in. Mm, yes. Thank you so much. Beata and I have been working together many years. Uh, I'm from Taos, New Mexico. Or I grew up there and she's here in Española. So we're like an hour away from each other, you know. So just been trying to, to, to be a part of, of, our, of our ancestors' dreams here. Um, and it's been a good journey together. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the main reason we're here <laughs> is because you're an incredible poet. And... Um, I wanted to, you know, give people some inspiration from your poetry and also just inspire other Native poets. So before we even start, I would love for you to just read a poem. You know, I don't Mm. think it needs much of an introduction or anything. Just share whichever poem you'd like to share with the people right now. So this is in solidarity with all our relatives dealing with loss and the grief. It's called Hallowed Be Our Name in Loving Memory of Santa Clara Pueblo Lands Lost to the Las Conchas Fire. I write on walls that don't respond, hesitate to make words when I'm so quiet, grieving the forest embrace of soft needles and moss, evergreen breath, I will miss our weekly talks, and the reassurance you gave me in defining unconditional acceptance, in explaining how time unfolds for real, beyond this space of discontent, cathedrals made of green, my church since childhood, turned inferno, No need to cleanse the mother bear who was put down, paws burned to the bone while carrying her cubs to safety. May I be so strong that I could walk on fire to save my family, that I could speak out against monsters of empire who would destroy the dormant seed held in our palms so we can plant it in smoking hearts. Mighty redwoods mirror our survival, allowed to grow on their reservation, given a small piece of what's theirs after surviving massacre. Let's call it sacred, twist the word into defining our last strongholds of spirit, and forget the sanctity of the nuclear waste dump 
the school devoid of books and language, the earth hidden beneath highway, the child drinking PCBs through breast milk, the ocean sticky with sickening rainbows, a sunflower in a littered alley, debris piled where there was once community. I see you and call you holy. Blow copal smoke on your suffering, worthy of saving, protecting, holding, and my blistered feet will heal scarred while singing evergreen pines, tall and proud, join the ancient forest flourishing in our spirits. As they go home to where grandmother's sisters are reunited and turn, holding hands, singing down strong rain, voices of thunder to the people who love them, with the promise that all will be made sacred once again. Mm. Wow. Woo. So um, that fire was really devastating because it burned over um, 85% of our forested lands, which was our watershed in Hapoinge. And, um, you know, we deal with a lot of environmental violence where we are. Um, and that fire was diverted north so that it would get diverted away from Los Alamos National Labs. So it's another example of what our people have sacrificed and endured um, for the militarism in, mm -hmm. in our lands. That's insane that they would... Well, I can understand why they wouldn't want nuclear reactors to catch on fire and what have you, but the, they never would have had that problem if they didn't create that laboratory here in New Mexico, which is where the Manhattan Project was born, um, mm -hmm. right here by your traditional territories. Um, so, sister, you wear many hats, and like, like we said, you know, you're doing so much, <laughs> which I think is really common with Native women. I actually mm. want to do a whole episode on that someday. It's probably from trauma. <laughs> <laughs> do everything. Or also just like sometimes, in addition, just like I feel like we're unlimited, you know, or like, mm. like me, I do like anthropology, and I'm a musician, and a, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, um, so anyways, but one of the hats you wear, obviously, is you write beautiful poetry. Um, how did your journey with poetry begin, if I may ask? I think it began with writing, being a pen pal with my grandmother, who is Irish. <laughs> so we used to write letters. She lived in Albuquerque, but she would send me newspaper clippings that she thought would be of interest, and I would write letters. And she just always really encouraged me to write. And I got was also mentored in different writing programs in middle and high school. So I had I was fortunate to have mentorship, I think, in encouraging my writing skills, people that saw some giftedness, like um I don't know, there was a few writing competitions I won at a really young age and mm -hmm. um but I was more into like visual arts and drawing when I was in high when college. But then when I became a mom, um, the style of art that I did was too time consuming. So I kind of took up the pen as a way to have a creative outlet mm -hmm. that didn't take a week where I just like disappeared <laughs> 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 and the creative process, you know, and that I could like come back to it or I don't know. So it, um, it's always just been a way to process issues happening around me um, to process my own personal perspective of things mm -hmm. and just coming from so many like diverse backgrounds and experiences mm. but I've never pursued getting published necessarily or like 
anything like that. It's just really unfolded really organically over time. Yeah, me too. I, I never was trying to get published or anything. I just wrote poetry and read it. I think it kind of makes the rounds in its own way, in like a spiritual way. Mm -hmm. um, so would you, uh, and by the way, when you said in your last poem, you know, I call you holy. Oof, that hit me. Like to see like these devastated, polluted, toxified places are our sacred places. Mm -hmm. And to, to say you're worth fighting for, you know, because as you know, with Diné, Diné lands, mm -hmm. we're also uranium central, you know, and some of the the largest uranium accident in the, in the northern uh, North America happened mm -hmm. right on my res. And so I totally feel you like, how are we going to, how are we not going to forget these places? Are we just going to abandon them or are we going to go remediate them? You know? Yeah. Um, so, okay. Would you be open to sharing another poem by chance? Sure. This is a poem I'm going to read that I've written more recently through a collaboration with my friend and colleague, Caitlin Bryson, who I've been doing micro and bioremediation workshops with the last few years. She's an artist and mycologist, and so we've been collaborating in some art projects. And so this is one that I wrote um, for one of the collaborations we did. And it was actually also read for a birth summit. <laughs> nice. So it's, it's you know, I, I my work is real intersectional. Mm -hmm. I can see that. Um, <laughs> nature can heal themselves, has created networks of support while nurturing cycles of growth and decay. Eons of seasons and daily moments with eternity gave breath to humanity. Elder sky and oceans smiled as we came into being. You will be helpers, they whispered, into songs swirling with heat and ice, embedding blessings into fingerprint spirals on our hands and head. You will love and respect each other, said stones and minerals married to earth, cradling footprints, collecting fresh rains with each step on this planet. Look to your elders, your teachers who came before you, said the first fire. Relatives other than human, we look to you now. Elders of holy ones unseen by feeble senses, you guard the last of your enlightened sanctuaries and sacred springs. And others exist in the multiverse beneath our lands, working tirelessly, eagle plume webs of light, weaving life underground, mycelium survivors of mass extinctions before they were man-made. You consume what has ended and give new breath to atmosphere. Reform what was once impenetrable and redistribute into new energy to share with those above. These connections are for mutual benefit, mirror the way we bond with emotions, fungi enfolded with trees and plants who bond with our breath and our touch of thought and prayer. Oxygen expands unbreakable bonds of death, empathic renewal. Invite communal process to dance and rejoice in songs of decay because it is a spiral emerging and a promise rooted in time that we can thrive. Horizontal networks of care and consciousness, never linear, unending potential to adapt and find new forms that serve our shared survival and sustenance. Teachers of how to exist in extreme environments, we adjust abilities slowly with intention, reach for those who would co-create with us, embrace those who struggling Collaborate in change and evolution back to our original instructions given since the beginning. Be helpers, 
love, respect, and take care of each other. What else can we learn from being formless? Remembering water and mycelium take in the shape of what they exist within. Remembering we are water beings. Erasing the limitations of how we see and touch other human beings. The joy of expanding outward from queer and indigenous bodies. From our centers of light and heat, softening false binaries. This emergence into peace with our planetary selves. Formed from beings who gifted us themselves. A new experience of moving through existence, where no one is left alone to struggle alone to birth themselves or babies alone, but are held in symbiosis, with the exhales of summer rains, tasting earth and skin, drinking in, shared abundance born of light and darkness, deliberate coordination of how we provide for wherever resources are needed, the power of translocation, of bringing nurturance close to us, of encircling the harm to hold it to account, the power of bioabsorption, consuming violence to transform it into bearing new fruit, transformation through webs of accountability, the power of adapting to extreme environments, ability to consume toxins, so the multiverse of earthen beings, worms, protozoa, nematodes, and countless others can wash clean and purify soils, air, waters, Teach us to help them with this process. Together, we will heal this land. Together, we nourish generations. Together, we hold collaborative rebirth in this time of cleansing. And holding sacred cycles of open doorways, open dreams, and imagining a future for all our families to live in perpetuity, putting to rest those systems that no longer serve our promised renewal. Mm. Wow. That's a mycelium poem. Mycelium poem. <laughs> I love it. I'm so fascinated with all that these relatives can do to help us. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's it's really about humbling ourselves to take our place in the natural order of the universe again. And all these organisms and um non-human relatives that saw us come into being as humans you know and we're here way before us so treating them like elders that have a lot to teach us again and mm. all those lessons that we used to model our societies after you know i think we can we can return to that yeah and that way of thinking is that that humility is i feel like the the biggest lesson that much of the world is has yet to learn Mm -hmm. And um, once we do learn it, things truly seem to naturally fall back into place. And I think our ancestors must have learned it in their mm -hmm. own ways of maybe becoming arrogant and realizing that's not, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so what is the importance of poetry to you? You know, what does it do for you, for your community and for the world? I think it lifts up voices that have been historically silenced and erased through colonialism. It's a way that honors our traditional way of learning, which is through our living relations, through oral traditions, and it kind of cuts through a lot of the way that, that we can be disingenuous with each other in like superficial interactions and, of, uh, and a lot of like how we're taught to 
diminish our spirits and our whole selves as people to just be in our heads and like where logical analytical thinking is really prioritized over maybe natural thinking or like thinking from your heart and even ignoring your spirit your intuition things that give you warning when things aren't right we're taught to just push that as to the side so i think poetry is a way that like you can be your whole self and your whole voice where you're not maybe otherwise given that opportunity so I've seen so many amazing poets that, um, especially with young with young people, you know, where they're able to speak their truths in a way they wouldn't otherwise be able to, mm-hmm. in a way that they can get it, be heard through a, a wider audience. But also, I think those things that are dormant inside us, you know, that genetic memory that just comes out sometimes when you're writing, mm-hmm. and, and like so, it's like proof that we have the knowledge we need already within us what's right and wrong and our connection to um, creator and all these things that like are free from judgment that it's you know it's therapeutic it's a form of healing it's a form of truth telling and we've always been creative people that uh, can draw out beauty in whatever we do and that's been exploited through like the art world but it is a way of putting what i observe into words because a lot of times like it's the poets who are really quiet and observant and can see the metaphors of what's happening around us to like the larger the macro and micro worlds you mm-hmm. know of what's happening and translate that into like the bigger story so it's just really amazing what words can can convey with any kind of art i guess but it's interesting that it's you know it's a it's a blend of indigenous and western kind of thought too for me mm-hmm to where like I learned this Western way of like speaking and writing, but then it's almost like speaking English in a Tewa way, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense. Totally. Um, and so I'm still relearning my language, but like, I feel like I can connect the dots a little bit, even though it's in English. Mm-hmm. Language driven by the values of our people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hear you on the genetic memory piece too, or even just like tapping into something bigger than yourself. Um, I feel like some of my best poems, like I, I didn't write them. (laughs) (laughs) There's like something else moving through that wants to be shared. Mm -hmm. And when you're in that kind of moment where you're just letting the pen do what it wants, um, it's some really incredible stuff can come out that, it is from us, but it's also like sometimes my poems teach me mm. um, about things that I didn't see. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it comes out and it's like, oh, yeah, I, I I am knowing this in a deeper level, just not in my mind. And then when it comes out through poetry, it's like, oh, wow, this is what this is the wisdom I was carrying this whole time, but wasn't accessible through the mind. Really, it's accessible through the heart. Mm-hmm. And, um, it kind of connects those two things I feel yeah and in that regard I really started being more vocal with my poems at like public meetings and public hearings mm-hmm. on environmental issues to where the the lack of emotional and spiritual context is so glaring and so culturally absent from these meetings you know with just like white men in suits and when you you have three minutes to speak about like all these harms and then you read a poem for your public comment. It just like 
changes everything, the whole vibe in the room and bringing in our censoring with our corn and water and seed. These these are here listening to what's being said. And, you know, it's just like it, it makes them have to speak differently. Mm-hmm. It's also like a, I feel like an obligation sometimes to be a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Because my work has put me in so many circles of having to hear other people's stories and experiences. And then there's that directive from mm-hmm. them of like, share a story, share what you saw here. Mm-hmm. And so then I end up writing a poem usually. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, a, like, I, I almost can't take credit for a lot of my poems of the content because it's, it's a lot of just what is my lived experience or what I have been a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, or what other people or other people's stories that they told me mm-hmm. that then I'm putting in paper I'm putting in writing or things I was taught from my elders that I'm then putting in writing mm-hmm. you know so it's it's hard to even maybe that's why I never pursued getting published because <laughs> yeah. it feels like exploiting those like that like kind of like responsibility that like as a poet of just it's it's not for monetary gain necessarily it's like your storytellers have had their roles I guess Mm-hmm. And it's never been about making money or nothing. Mm-hmm. For me, anyway. I mean, I guess now I, I'm getting more requests like, well, where's your books? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I guess I should get around to that. But <laughs> when you work in intersectional spaces and ways, then it's it's really hard to be an artist as a profession. And I was always honestly pretty discouraged from doing that, and which is why I went into being an educator when I had my first child because it was always had all this messaging that like, Yeah, security and stability and economic stability. And so I I dropped out of the fine arts program, probably with like maybe a few credits shy of having a fine arts major. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm still grateful for that learning. And like I could maybe go back. If I did go back to school, it probably would be in the arts. um, Mm -hmm. Well, apparently you don't need a school to teach you art. (laughs) You're pretty darn good at it as it is. But I hear you. Yeah, but I'm not a disciplined writer either. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's usually when something's stewing in my brain, composting for a while, that I'll, like, okay, I gotta write. (laughs) So I'll have to take a workshop or a class to really, like, write regularly. Or someone will be like, hey, can you write a poem? Yeah. And then you're like, okay, yeah, I'm the same way. Like, Or can you read a poem at this thing? And I was like, okay, and then that'll inspire me to write based on whatever. Speaking of, would you be open to sharing uh, another one with us? Yes. Anyone's fine. It can be. Maybe this one I'll read because... It was inspired by stories that my my Aunt Paula told me, spending time with her, of some of her experiences, like what I was talking about with um, just retelling stories that were told to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I sing this day into being and end by drinking blue twilight until hierarchical flaws bubble up to the surface of pools of thought, resisting pieces of border puzzle that lock into place within my mind's own boundaries. Invisible walls that block out suffering, struggling to be present and connected to people who have communed with land, contradicted bloodlines, counteracted mixed-race copulation with denial, compromised ideas, consuming and devouring the same age and time alongside experience that is shared from shifting points of view. Everlasting futures rest on cooperation and understanding the great truth that Quote, none are free while others are oppressed. Seekers find God in harmony and balance, doing the necessary work inside where lies try to hide. 
behind emotions that try to kill on a hunting ground of blood and marrow. The solution of a better way is down a spiral heartbeat path, orange clay road that ends with the last generation who had the chance to change, rebuild the road on the straight and narrow edge that curves around to meet its never-ending, littered by earthen roadsides, our pot shards that glisten geometry, teach us purity that did not need to be improved on but kept in balance, diagonal rain lines separate bands of black and white, equality in painted stripes, designs that mean beyond decorations, beyond many metaphors of pottery, mean more than kill pots removed from dead nobodies placed in museums, cages of glass that confuse the spirit. My aunt once told me of a medicine bag that she pulled gently out of a dusty filing cabinet drawer in the Smithsonian basement. Golden sparkles drifted down from it, pieces of light. She raised it up reverently, breathed on it, acknowledged blessings of shared substance, oblivious to time, like a leather pouch holding medicine in the realm of the sacred passed up into the future, memory and place passing into firstborn hands across journeys renewed by breathing, healing seclusion by acceptance of what it has all come to on the edge. On the fine line of an age, only one path remains. Mm. This one's a little more abstract. It's so beautiful. It it's so beautiful. I love the part about her lifting the medicine bag because it's just such a sharp contrast of all that we view as sacred, you know, mm. and all that this other culture cannot understand as sacred. And, and even like that word sacred, like to have a keen sense of the sacred and, and also the, the, the converse to have no sense mm. of the sacred to me is like one of the sharpest differences between these two cultures. And it's hard to translate, you know, like how do you teach someone what sacred means? Mm. Who's never been able to, who never had the luxury of going to ceremony who never had the luxury of, you know, being a part of these um, places of reverence for creation. Um, but but it, but on the other hand, if you have been to ceremony, then there's no need to translate it. Like it's, you know it. Mm -hmm. You know, you've watched your elders, you know, sing to the corn. You've mm -hmm. watched your elders um, pray with whatever... Uh, ways that they pray and you can feel it in your bones and and it's this awe this awe of creation and yeah. so I feel like even though that poem's abstract it's like so uh, effective at just like helping us see how how that split ha is 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 unfolding in this land between those who can't see the sacred and those who can't not see the sacred. Yeah, or why why you understand that you leave something on the ground that you find mm -hmm. and don't collect it and keep it, that it was given as an offering or put to rest for a reason. And for her to tell me stories of when she was like working in the Smithsonian basement and the things she could come across and filing cabinets and like that were from us, that were from our people. Yeah. And that those objects recognized her. She knew what to do 
Mm-hmm. And I think of just all those things that are, um, when I see things removed from, like I mentioned, the kill pots in that poem, you know. So when I go to museums, I have to, like, put on my armor because it's traumatizing <laughs> yeah. to go into museums and see these things that were taken because there's this sense that, oh, we can preserve it better than you are. That was preserved because there was the thought that we were going to be gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and even now there's this struggle for repatriation of objects and um, remains. And, you know, on social media, you see all these pages of like, petroglyph sites and people like collecting things and um, the looting that's happened so extensively where like if you here on Pueblo lands it's special because we're still on our ancestral lands you walk around you see like the pot shards everywhere yeah you go to places that were more um, colonized or where people were forcefully displaced from their lands it's there's none of those because people things. took it. They took it. Uh, so like I've gone to like um like Bears Ears in these places where like there's no pottery. Like there should be all over the place. Yeah, yeah, true. And it's just been looted to heck, you know. And it's the same up at like Los Alamos. There was just so much looting as they were occupying those lands and cultural sites. Mm-hmm. In addition to like them getting contaminated, but um, mm-hmm. as Dene were taught to leave them there, the, the shards too. because mm-hmm. the ancestors that belongs to the ancestors. And also, if you take it, it can even, like, I don't know, it's just, for lack of a better word, like, bad karma that you're carrying around with you that's not really helping you or, it, you know, it doesn't belong to you, you know, mm-hmm. so, yeah. Yeah, it belongs to the earth. <laughs> right. It was, you know, Recycling. It's, it's like, you gotta, we don't let things complete their life cycle. Mm-hmm. Mammals have a life cycle. It's like things that we make and create that we were given, that we gave life to and breath to. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason why it's given back so, mm. so it can complete its life cycle. Makes me think then too. Then it's of... removed and it's like frozen in these museums where it's mm. not even allowed to decompose back to Earth. It's this weird disruption. And they do that to our bodies, <laughs> put mm. us in coffins and pump us full of uh, chemicals. So we Formaldehyde. Can, we take from the Earth all day and then all our whole life. And then at, the least we could do is give our body back to her, but mm. we don't even do that. Um, I still am. I'm going in in a blanket. Oh yes, me too. I don't know how. I mean, you might have to smuggle me and throw me up. No, I'm just but uh, <laughs> so, let, I was just curious um, if you're open to sharing. Um, you know, what is the style of poetry that you do? If there is a name for it, and and what are some of the methods that you use to craft your poetry with? I think I do pretty freeform poems um i have dabbled in like european form poetry which is fun sometimes or when i've taught poetry classes Mm -hmm. to young people i'll like show them that and that's good for people that are just starting yeah to have a structure yeah um very true but then as you find your own voice like i think like freeform poems i have practiced deliberate alliteration and rhyme and so it's things like mixed together. It's how I craft a poem. I do an initial brain dump <laughs> yeah, on a paper. And so like, it'll be like just good old pen and paper and then lots of crossing out and then I'll rewrite it. And then maybe another revisions and then I'll maybe type it up. <laughs> yeah. It. Yeah. Um, so it, I do have like an editing process and I'll try not to, Make sure I'm not using words over and over the same words. Um, but then also, like, 
trying to decolonize the language a little bit. Mm -hmm. I do that on purpose sometimes. So like taking um, the away from things that are a being because mm. that's objectifying them. Mm-hmm. Um, or, yeah, taking out the I because we are a collective consciousness, mm-hmm. you know, and so how does it come out different when you when you purposely don't use that? Mm. A lot of my poems, I'll deliberately, like, try not to use I, and then sometimes I'll use I on purpose. Um, so just some things I've played around with, but I don't really have a, I couldn't really say what my specific style is. But a lot of times, like, when you practice these things, then they just kind of come come through in your poems anyway. Like, you know, the more you write. True. It's kind of like a fingerprint. Everyone mm-hmm. has their own way. And you can you can expand and, and, and break out of that and find new ways. But I also feel like there's a nature that each of us has as, as writers. And, and it will all come out exactly how it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, so would you be open to sharing maybe just one more poem with us? I mean, okay. I could sit here and listen to your poetry all day. <laughs> okay. I'll read this one. Um, I wrote probably a year after I went to visit my relatives and my Mayan relatives in Guatemala, who I've been doing planting amaranth and doing workshops with for the last 10 years from Quechualu Madre Tierra Asociación. Um, and the Garden's Edge in Albuquerque. Mm. And just doing some amazing work with Amaranth and teaching their communities sustainable knowledge that they've held and that were disrupted by civil war and genocide. Mm. And um, there's this plant, Amaranth, that has been a a gateway for connecting the people again. And it's spreading globally. It's this plant that grows anywhere. And so I was blessed to go and help harvest Amaranth that originally had been gifted to us at the Healing Foods Oasis that we planted for many years and then gifted back to them. And they took it to Guatemala and planted it there. So that seed had been in Española growing and then was taken to Guatemala to grow again. And then we got to go help harvest it. Um, and so it was this really beautiful cultural exchange around the seed. And we were blessed to be part of ceremony that they have every year to honor um, their loved ones went through a massacre in Rio Negro, which was mm. an ancient Mayan community that was flooded for the creation of a hydroelectric dam. Mm. And um, the people went through so much in resistance to that that was done to them so that this project could go through. And so there were five massacres that they went through. And um, this last one in Rio Negro was all women and children. When Although was it? It was in the 80s. Mm. It was in my lifetime. And this is corporations from the U.S. And these were mercenaries trained by the School of Americas Mm. to disrupt these um, movements so that globalization can continue. So we do have a level of accountability in this country for what we're doing with our southern indigenous relatives and global indigenous relatives through this rampant capitalism. And it's really heartbreaking, and it's but it's also beautiful how they go and celebrate with their loved ones who have passed on and be with them. And remember them and honor them in a way that is um, with their culture, you know. So we were up in the mountains in Rio Negro in ceremony when the pandemics was going down. I didn't even know all this was happening. It was in 2020. That trip was cut short because they were about to close the borders. And so, like, we got down from the mountain and all this was happening. And 
we came back. And so this poem was written a year when we were having, we joined together virtually in commemoration of, of the Rio Negro massacres. So this is in honor of our missing and murdered indigenous relatives of Turtle Island, as we dream a future where they are found and loved, and solidarity from the north during a full moon. Can I ever grow the fires to soothe the Rio Negro's flow from my eyes? Forests of flame felled by machete blades that massacre any signs of rain. Mercenaries trained by America's malice, pacified by power to control ancestral waters. This lake is a graveyard of truth. Shining farmland villages submerged for electrical energy wielding genocide. Active resistance with each sharing of knowledge and skills passed on, held in humble hands of farmers, teachers of memory held in seeds, and the transcendent intelligence of survivors. It is this work of ancients that calls us to transform from these stories held in the revolution of our hearts. I can never go back to these places where I knelt in grief, planting stone and soul wounding. My hands could not bury it deep enough. It's as if my cries are not self-sown, but are from another time, or from those who don't release their own. Magway plant my endless well of spirit tears. Crystallized moon mother, a salve for my fears. Limbs scattered to the stars. You understand, I am not who I was before. My beloved child knows these paths. Continues to lead me to ceremony since he was inside me. Gatherings of condolence and peace. We offer earth and tobacco. For them, 40 years later. For us, seven generations stronger. To the cosmic directions of change and knowing. And I have learned the heaviest burdens must be carried together. Rebuilding as we gaze upon a new world above these waves that subdue our inner inferno. Stasis of calm, an illusion of justice for our own emotions that burn with renewal. This night within blessed light, I honored them, the missing and murdered. All our relatives found and loved, dancing together again in spiritual gardens. My feeling of being is shared breath. I will only go forward into the ceremony where our children lead us, to where control is now consent, and waters of the world are freed, fertile soil revealed, and the blood of martyrs and saints killed by capitalism gives rise to sustenance and survival, and our collective wisdom will be worthy of these seeds who guide us. Mm. Dang. feels so honored. I'm blessed to, I'm like doing a podcast, but I also like, I get to go to a poetry reading. <laughs> I know, I get to read poems. We should have read some together. Yeah, no, I was thinking maybe I could read one here at the end. Um, yeah, it'd be good. But, um, but yeah, um, gosh, that was so gorgeous. And I'm just so grateful that, you know, that the medicine of these words can be shared. And I invite all those who are listening, you know, to take in this medicine, take in the, those lines that speak to your heart, you know, and, and carry them with you. Cause there's a reason that they speak to you. And, um, you know, words can't do everything. We have to also mm-hmm. do action, but words guide the action. Words are the original, the originator of, of all action. 
the thoughts that translate into words, which translate into our deeds, which translate into our lives. And so in Dinewe, you know, in Sahakes is the realm of the thoughts. And we believe all things start with the thoughts. Mm. And so to me, the poets have an important job to help to garden our thoughts, help to seed our thoughts and, and we, weed our thoughts and to uh, clip and prune and, and, and water our thoughts so that the garden from which our actions sprouts is, is healthy. And I feel like these words are, are doing rippling out in ways that we may never even know. Um, so on that note, I just wondering if you had any, you know, advice for native people who might want to write, who might want to be poets, you know, how do they start? Where do, where do they start? How do they write? How do they get their poetry out there? Or what, what would you say to a, to a native person who either is a poet or would like to be a poet to, to continue to develop that uh, practice? I would just say that it's really important to get your work out there in a way that gives energy and movement to the changes we want to see happen. You know, as artists, for sure, express yourself the way you need to for your own growth and transformation, but also to be mindful of what you're feeding. What are you choosing to feed? Is it the hate and anger and kind of negative energy or is it feeding ancestral strengths is it feeding those things that were passed on to us that are going to help us continue i was also taught that like never be afraid to to speak out loud if what you're saying is your personal truth because mm. it's speaking what you know it's your experience and and nobody can dispute it you know if it's if that's what it fits your truth so that kind of got me over my public speaking fears of like oh yeah it is easier to speak what you know and what your 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 truth is and nobody can take that away from you and that's what cuts through to connecting to on an emotional level to another person mm -hmm. right away yeah even if you don't know each other you come from that place of like straight emotional truth there's there's no criticisms that can phase you so as a tool of solidarity building amongst indigenous peoples i think that's really important right now and it's a movement that i see just like gives me so much hope and inspiration the way that we are throwing aside hierarchies and <laughs> these structures that would still keep us separate from each other to where we are using these lessons from our, our plant elders and from nature that the most sustainable way to be on this planet is through collaborative cooperative systems mm -hmm. and um, that is through sharing and offering what we you know what our creative gifts are so just don't 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 compare yourself to anybody else. You're this unique expression of spirit who you are on this planet in this time in this moment. We're reflecting the world around us and it's important that we that we that we speak what's happening around us. I think that is a job of poets to be that mirror of the times. But um yeah, go for it. Be your creative spiritual self, you know. <laughs> don't let these institutions diminish that. Mm -hmm. It's another form of resistance, you know? Yeah. I like that. Go for it. <laughs> in some, go for it. <laughs> no, that's real because it's, especially in our communities, it, we're trained to be humble, which is good. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, well, how do we express ourselves without centering ourselves and without being arrogant? And I've often struggled with that tension, you know, of like, I, I have a lot to share how do we do it in a way that's humble 
And I think at a certain point, you do got to tell yourself, like, you know what, go for it. Mm-hmm. Your expression isn't limiting the expression of others. It's just one. And so it's okay, you know, mm-hmm. and to that, that I loved what you said, you know, you are a unique expression of spirit. Nobody can write the poems that you can write. Mm-hmm. Literally no one. And I, I think you're right. Every single one is important. Every um, expression is because creator doesn't make mistakes. You know, every single one of us is here for a purpose. And so the poetry that we each write is is part of that purpose or or a reflection of that purpose. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, there's no one poem that's like more important, you know. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah. And for us, like, that's the first offering we're taught to give is our breath as Pueblo people and it's in that reciprocity with the plant world you know and if you don't have your cornmeal or tobacco you can always offer your breath Mm. and so when you speak that's that offering too yeah and so what is it that you're offering and putting out there um what are what are you praying for what are you dreaming for wishing for and so that's what I mean when there is like this responsibility as you mature as a writer like we were talking earlier, there's poems that I wrote 25 years ago that maybe I don't want to move that energy in that way. Like I want to speak things a little differently now. Or, But also I've been in meetings where, I don't know, there was a meeting a couple of days ago about the site-wide environmental impact statement with the labs. And I'll speak as an individual, not representing anybody but myself. Uh-huh. And I'll let myself be angry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just like, you're not welcome here. You're yeah. not wanted here. You do not have consent to be using our water yeah. to cool plutonium. And I don't feel any any which way for like letting my emotions come through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it is okay to like let your anger come through mm-hmm. in your writing. It's okay to honor that fighting spirit that has also been a part of our survival. So I guess, and that's and that's what like it's authentic, you know. Mm-hmm. Humans can cause harm. Humans can heal harm, repair harm. But I think, like, I don't have to be super respectful to, to my perpetrators. <laughs> yeah. It, it, would, be, know, it like... would be disrespectful to them if you were respectful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you want to push them to be better and to yeah. not be dumb. And uh, if we just, yeah. Yeah, and I don't have to go into these spaces that are not meant for us and, like, maintain this level of, like, decorum that is imposed on us. Yeah, totally. When it's when it's actually like an addressing harm that is being actively done on our communities, you know? So there is, I just wanted to put that out there too, that like anything you have to speak out against or for or with or in honor of, you know, it's a spectrum of emotions and that's part of the beauty of humanity too. Yeah. Is that we're able to exist in um, feeling all these things simultaneously. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your heart. And my prayer is that these words can heal all people, you know, to inspire indigenous poets and even everyone, anyone who wants to take this inspiration and bring it outward like a ripple, you know, to pick up that pin. Um, I remember when I went to my first poetry slam, the late and great and beautiful uh, Coral Bernal, Mm. you know, she, uh, took me to my first poetry slam and uh she won hands down it was her first slam that she ever competed just knocked it out of the park you know tiwa and salish poet um and um Mm -hmm. i was hooked you know from that day forward that was in the year 2003 
<laughs> and so, you know, she, she really inspired me and I couldn't stop writing poetry. And, um, yeah, I think it's a little terrifying to pick up the pen, but I guarantee you, if you keep trying, keep at it and, uh, you know, just keep seeing where it takes you, you know, mm. that, uh, that it will continue to develop and grow like a flower and, uh, and and at one day it will it will it will truly flower and pollinate and 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 you know impregnate the world with inspiration and and love and mm. beauty and i think that that um is something we are all we all can tap into that 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 muse if you will that spirit you know like the word genius the root word is genie which is spirit you know, so the genius was never really that smart. It was someone who could get out of the way long enough for spirit to move through. And I think we're all have a inherent connection to that river that mm -hmm. flows. And if you just uh, quiet your mind, quiet your spirit and, and let the pin move and, and tap into it and just not judge it, you know, see what comes out. Mm -hmm. Then uh, we're, we all are able to do that. So is there anything last you'd like to share with uh, our wonderful listeners? Thank you all, uh, whoever's out there listening, no matter who you are, where you are, we appreciate it. Um, mm -hmm. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Just thank you for taking time to be with me today and so much blessings and love to you out there for whatever you're going through. You know, you're not alone. You have this beautiful earth beneath your feet with you always in unconditional love. Um, thank you for bringing in red coral flower. And this, you know, justice be brought on, on the issues around her too. May her words live on forever. My love to you all going through it right now. And that this could be a, a way to bring you comfort or raise that vibration, you know, of, of how we move through the world and try and stay in our living energy as much as possible. Ta'a. Thank you. Mm -hmm. right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Thank you.